Now, when you combine that human factor with the risk of ransomware, you've got a, you know, a double whammy. Welcome to Focus, a podcast dedicated to the business of higher education. I'm your host, Heather Richmond, and we will be exploring the challenges and opportunities facing today's higher learning institutions. Today, I'm joined by Sean Davidson, a Senior Manager of Security Solutions at Verizon to talk about the latest trends in data breaches and payment security. Hi, Sean. It's so great to have you with us today. Uh, thanks, Heather. I'm really excited to be a part of your podcast. Well, I know sometimes payments and data security is not that exciting, but it's a really important topic. And I know you have a lot of expertise in this that you want to share with us. But let's start with a little bit about you and your background. Sure. Uh, my name is Sean Davidson. I'm a cybersecurity services senior manager for Verizon. I have been with Verizon for 26 years and I've uh, come up through the technology ranks and uh, have been working with and around security for most of that time frame. Um, during my experience, I've had a lot of exposure in retail and other areas that leverage PCI, uh, payment card industry, security services, and uh, have, have been exposed to a lot of different environments that you know deal with PFI and PCI related data. Yeah, you know, it's interesting with you saying you have a background in retail because a lot of times we talk about a higher ed campus being almost like retail because you have your anchor tenants and you have all the different departments or kind of quote unquote storefronts within uh, the campus. So just the sheer number of transactions and different types that are flowing in, it, it really is a, a lot of times a small city or, or a retail environment. So I think that translation is, is really cool. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. I've got uh, four daughters, three of them, uh, two through college, one in college. I went through college myself, and I uh, actually participate in one of the IT boards for one of the local universities. Oh, cool. Um, when you think about a college campus, you know, you've got your bookstores, you've got the library, you've got now potentially IoT connected, um, you know, vending machines where a, a, a student can use their ID to purchase things. Uh, you've got events, you've got all different types of areas where you've got, you know, credit card transactions taking place, not to mention you have all their financial information in the database right. that is uh, being used for tuition, book purchases, and all kinds of other uh, re related expenses. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot and a lot of places to make sure that you're keeping all that data secure. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to cover. Um, you know, some of the challenges that uh, that the universities and other educational establishments face are the same challenges that are are their enterprise, you know, brothers and sisters face. And you know, whether it be a uh, a retailer or whether it be an event uh, stadium or something like that, right. where you, know, you have changing needs, changing attack surfaces, um, and also an ever growing number of threats uh, approaching them, trying to you know make money and run away with valuable information. Absolutely, and you know, I I'm sure when you think about Verizon, a lot of our listeners are probably like aren't those phones? Why are we talking to this guy from Verizon on security? So why don't you give us a little bit of background of the role that Verizon plays specifically when it comes to data and potential, you know, breaches and data security and payment security? Absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, all my years at Verizon, it, it never fails when you meet somebody and you start talking about 
you work for Verizon, the first thing they say is, oh, I've got this problem with my phone. Right. Uh, well, that's, that's not what I do. Um, <laughs> although I do have several phones myself. Um, all right, so Verizon as a cybersecurity services company. Uh, we've been in the business for over 23 years. We, um, we've been you know, dealing with IPVPN, remote access, and firewalls from a managed services implementation integration perspective. Uh, no, even further, even further back than that. But you know, as a services provider, we provide managed security services, assessment services, consulting services globally. Uh, in fact, we manage nine global security operation centers. Wow. One of our most well-known. Um, contributions to the cybersecurity industry or community is the data breach investigations report. The DBIR is uh, in 2022 was its 15th publication. So 15 years of publication and is seen as the foremost authority on, um, on, on data breach investigations and reporting. Yeah. It sounds like that's probably a good opportunity to even do some benchmarks since it's been going on that long. Yeah, absolutely. And there's something I also forgot to mention. When you think about PCI payment card information, um, we actually helped to write the PCI uh, DSS, right? So okay. the original PCI compliance requirements, we were we were part of the contribu contributing members to that publication. Um, we also provide PFI, Primary Forensic Investigation Services, and QSA, Qualified Security Assessor uh, Services, so we can help companies you know, validate that their that their environment is secure and compliant. Yeah, I know sometimes when we talk to our customers or even ourselves, all those acronyms get a little confusing. And so having somebody there to help is is absolutely good and translate. So when we think about the reports and you know, even just think about data breach investigations report, obviously there's information in there about how the bad guys are getting in, what you need to do to be more secure. Can you just maybe expand a little bit on that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'll give you just kind of a high level of what it is and what we do, right, and why it's important. Um, so the data breach investigations report basically is a combination of our own data and uh, 87 uh, contributors, right? So 86 oh, wow. of our partners, competitors, and other uh, security uh, leading experts, industry leading experts, all work together to gather data um, and we use the Veris framework, which is a vocabulary for event reporting and incident services. I, I forget the exact acronyms, but it's a it's a, a vocabulary we use to categorize threat actors, their attack uh, techniques, um, the attributes that are impacted, and the uh, you know techniques, and then also their motives. So what the data breach investigation report is is it's a uh, culmination of all of this data. We looked at in 2022, we looked at 23,896 incidents, wow. which equated to 5,212 data breaches. We analyze that data and we boil it down and come up with um, a, a view of the cybersecurity threat landscape that companies can use to better understand their threat, um, their threats, you know, their attackers, uh, their motives and uh, the defense areas that they should bolster to help prevent impact from these, these attackers. So uh, we publish this annually. We break it down also into industries. And lo and behold, education is one of the industries that we cover um, within that in the DBIR. 
You know, it's it's interesting. I want to delve into that, but it kind of goes back to a little bit of nomenclature. And so I know you talked about that you there were so many incidences versus breaches. So can you expand on what the difference is between an incident and a breach? Yeah, sure. Uh, an incident is any time um, cybersecurity is, well, there's two, right? So in the, in the an incident is a cybersecurity event that has been uh, categorized and identified as an actual threat action. Okay. Um, now in the DBIR, an incident is, uh, is, um, is defined as any time that sensitive information is, uh, as sensitive information is exposed, right? Okay. So I have been able to compromise your environment. I have seen sensitive information. Okay. Where, when an incident turns into a data breach is when we've actually confirmed that that data breach has been exfiltrated and exposed to outside environments. So it's not just that it's been uh, seen or, you know, uh, exposed internally, but it's now been exfiltrated and their data has not only been compromised, but actually shared outside of their environment. Ah, uh, that helps to clarify the difference of, you, you need to be concerned for both, but when something's an incident versus when it transitions over into the breach, and obviously there's different um, requirements around which one it is. Yeah, in fact, I mean, depending on, you know, depending on what governing body is, is you know, the organization has to be compliant to, say HIPAA or PCI as an example, certain factors determine whether or not that data needs, whether that breach needs to be um, announced to the public. Yeah, that, like, that makes a lot of sense. And and I know that the bad guys always are thinking about new ways to scheme, <laughs> to scheme us all, right? So what are you seeing in terms of some of those trends with data breaches and the, some of those security risks? All right. So this, this is going to be shocking to anybody in the industry, but, you know, ransomware is on the uprise. Okay. So I think it's like the past four or five years, ransomware has been number one and it's skyrocketing into the right. Wow. So you know, when you think about what ransomware means, it really kind of gets to the heart of the motive behind threat actors. Um, most threat actors are looking to make money, right? So they're right. financially motivated. Um, so the easiest way for them to make that money is, is to compromise the environment, get ransomware in place, and then, you know, demand a ransom. Now, when we talk about that, a lot of times, they may demand a ransom and a company has to make that hard decision. Do I pay? Do I not pay? Okay. And somebody might be advising them in the background saying, you know, you might pay, but you may not even get your data back. Um, or you may, you may mm -hmm. not. So that's a really sticky position for a company to be in or a educational uh, establishment to be in. Right. Um, but ransomware on its upward trend um, is, has a 13% increase in 2022 alone. So it's, it's not going anywhere. Wow. Uh, another thing that is specifically interesting is that 82% of all breaches are driven by the human element. Now, when we think about the human element, you know, what is that? Okay. Right. The human element is the exposure of, of credentials, your username, your password, your identity, if you will. Um, also, leveraging our weaknesses as humans. We don't have weaknesses, right? <laughs> right. But, weaknesses to get in. So, um, you know, spear phishing, meaning sp sending emails specifically to somebody that looks to be 
um, look to be valid emails from trustworthy uh, folks that then you know, ask you to go click on a particular link and input your password or share certain information that can be then used to, to you know, infiltrate and compromise your security environment. Once they're in, obviously, their next goal would be to elevate their privilege and then ultimately get to, uh, you know, the sensitive data that they're after. Um, now, when you combine that human factor with the risk of ransomware, you've got a, you know, a double whammy, right? So right. now we're, we're using humans to get in. Uh, and now we're going to implant some, um, some malicious software that's going to expand in your network and then ultimately take over that network and then give the uh, threat actor the opportunity to uh, blackmail you into giving them money. Right, which is why it's so important, I think, to continue doing the education and making sure people understand what do these things look like? And they're getting smarter and smarter. I know uh, we we have tests that go through and we look at the email and it's kind of like, okay, really getting sharp here. We have to uh, analyze what all could be wrong. Do I open this or not? <laughs> yeah, they absolutely are becoming uh, more sophisticated in their approach. If you think back to the early thousands, you'd receive an email from a prince in some foreign country who had been estranged from his family and needed your help to access $12 million and he was willing to give right. you a share. Right. right. That was a little bit easier to sniff out, but you know, nonetheless, those tactics have evolved over time. Now they're far more sophisticated. As an example, they know it's tax season. They know you're filing your taxes online. Right. Um, you receive a text that says, Hey, your tax, your tax return has been accepted by the IRS click here to go collect your refund. Obviously we're all excited to get the refund. So we click there, we go to a webpage. It looks like the company that we submitted our, our taxes through. It asks us for our username and our, our password. And uh, next thing you know, you've divulged some very sensitive information. Yes. Now, one of the defenses we're seeing and that you're probably have experienced elsewhere is we're starting to add multi-factor authentication into that, right? Right. So now we might ask you a sensitive question, like, you know, what was the first name of your dog? Uh, what kind of car did you first drive? Or may even send you a text to confirm a passcode to validate that you really are who you say you are. I would argue that, that we could probably mimic that action too. Really? But nonetheless, they're getting more and more sophisticated every day. Yeah, you know, they, they really are. And I know the report kind of goes in across all industries, but are you seeing anything specifically within higher education? Are the same trends reflecting in, in that space? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one of the things that we've seen over the past couple of years is an increase in system intrusion, right? Okay. And I'm speaking in general now. Now, system intrusion is good old hacking, right? So um, that's, you know, that could be through your HVAC system or your IoT systems. It could be through the LAN and the computer lab right. uh, or even potentially just, you know, hacking into a, um, into, into a, uh, I want to make a funny joke here, into a, a, a bank of modems to allow you access to the system, <laughs> right? Um, that is on an increase. And what's interesting is system intrusion for education specifically matches that. Um, another thing 
that is stands out a little bit about educational services is miscellaneous errors are on a decrease for most industries, but for education, it's on an increase. Mm. Now, miscellaneous errors are misconfigurations, uh, potentially sending some uh, valuable details to a third party, um, leaving ports open on a web application firewall that allows somebody, a threat actor to do cross scripting or some other type of traditional attack. Um, but that's well, while the rest of the industries are on a decrease in 2021, 2022 data and DBIR and investigate 2021 data was actually on an increase. So um, another thing that stands out about the, the education space specifically is that um, while the rest of the industries between 2017 and 2019 have seen an increase, a significant increase in basic web application attacks, we've seen a, a significant decrease in web application attacks for the educational industry. Now, I don't have any data that I can specifically say this is why, but one might argue that, um, that corporate enterprise is more quickly adopting cloud services and migrating to the cloud to reduce their costs, um, complexity, and consolidation of their environments, which opens up that attack surface we mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, but that, that's purely, you know, that's purely conjecture on my part. Yeah, it make, makes sense, though. You kind of start to analyze and look to see, when you look at all the industries, you do have some of that insight to say, how is it different? on a college campus, for instance, than it is in a retail environment and how can we make some changes? So speaking of that, are, are there some advice that you would give to help prevent data breaches within higher education? Yeah, uh, I'm gonna dig a little bit deeper into some of the findings that were specific to education and then I'll give you a little bit of the idea of the, um, how we might be able to defend against that, right? Okay. So extortion was three times more likely in education than the rest of industries. So we've got your data, we're going to extort money from you because we're going to release that data. Um, you know, how do we prevent that? How do we protect against compromise? Well, having a, a solid security program with a good security posture can help prevent being compromised, can help prevent against ransomware, can help against um, system intrusion. So those are ways that we can help control it. Also having good cybersecurity insurance in place Okay. Um, and having a good advisor, potentially like Verizon as a forensic investigator um, and incident response provider to help you determine whether or not it makes sense to pay that ransom or to, you know, take the risks associated with it could also help. Um, another factor is ransomware was five times more likely this year in education breaches than last year. Mm. Okay. Ransomware was five times more likely. So one might assume that the threat actors weren't going after educational industries, or is it more that they identified that they were weaker and had weaker defenses? Okay. So some of the ways that we can defend against that are, you know, strong perimeters, um, great educational programs. And you mentioned that earlier, it's yeah. critical to protect ourselves against ourselves, the right. humans. <laughs> um, and we do that by training and through re-education and when I say re-education, but little reiterative education, and then um, you know, also putting technology and process in place to quickly identify, protect, and respond to threat actors. 
Yeah, I think it's probably equally as important that when software providers, for instance, you know, implement things like MFA and some other security measures to ensure that the schools are adopting that as quickly as they possibly can, because while it's annoying sometimes, it's, it's there for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the industry trends that we're seeing all along, and it's it's nothing new, but is the um, is is the drive towards a zero trust environment. So zero trust architecture, ZTA, a zero trust architecture um, really is is the is the is nirvana of security. Okay. What a zero trust architecture means is that no no entity identity whether it be a human identity or a digital identity um, should access any asset that they are not specifically permissed, have specific permission to access. Um, as an example, I want to access the database of all of the students social security numbers. Well, the pool administrator doesn't need access to that. Right. The uh, <laughs> office probably doesn't need access to that. Maybe the health office needs access to that. How do we lock that specific information down so that the only people that can access it are the people who are have the identity that has authorization, right. has access, and we can account for that. So we can basically determine who we can allow, when we can allow them, and what they should be able to access specifically. And obviously, we need to account for that so that we can determine you know, that, that our defenses are in place and that the data has not been compromised. So... Moving towards a zero trust architecture is a great path, um, but it's it's a it's a many it's a many step journey. It's not a product that can be purchased or a rubber stamp that can be slapped onto an environment. Yeah, that makes sense. I think kind of going back to as our schools are looking at software vendors or you know from a technology standpoint to make sure that there is functionality that has you know is permission based that you're able to have some of those parameters you know locked down. And I'd say coupled with that, also having the um, tracking reporting ability. So it's one thing to say, like, we have the permissions, but we also want to prove, you know, when did somebody access that data and at what point? So that if we needed to track down where there was a potential, you know, human error or risk, we have that kind of data. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll, I'll kind of embellish on that. So it's, it's critical that companies have the proper detection. Um, and defense capabilities in place to detect when a threat actor has compromised their environment or is attacking their environment. Absolutely. But it's also very helpful um, for companies to de-scope their PCI data specifically. Okay. And de-scoping meaning moving that data into an environment that it's not able to be compromised. So a lot of corporations um, are moving towards taking data and going directly to the payment processing company so they can avoid being liable for that. Right. Not only that, but they're handing that data into the hands of experts, right? So you're giving your data directly to the, to the credit processor so it doesn't have the same risk. It also helps them because they don't necessarily have to staff aggressively to have ongoing uh, evolving and development around their network infrastructure and their security um, in the same way that they do from a, to assure that they have PCI compliance. And not only that they're compliant, but they actually are secure. Because remember, compliance does not mean security. Compliance is merely that you've been validated, that you're meeting the 
defined tenants of that particular um, compliance requirement. Yeah, that's a really good point because I know a lot of times we hear, you know, security and compliance almost used interchangeably, but they're really two different focuses. It's one thing to check a box saying you did some paperwork, but it's another thing to ensure that you really have your systems locked down and secure, right? Yeah, you know, when you drive into the mechanic and you say, hey, take a look at my car. How does it look? He says, yeah, it looks pretty good. <laughs> Well, that's saying the car looks nice. Right. But when you get under the hood, that's where you start to see things are a little bit maybe in disarray. You know, maybe maybe your starter's bad. Maybe there's something else going on. And and that might be a bad um a bad, you know, correlation. But you know, it, a compliance is kind of like a health check. Are you meeting the requirements? Are you eating are you eating healthy? Are you exercising? Are you drinking plenty of water? Right. Yes. Okay. You should be good. Security is about actually making sure that you're healthy, making sure you have the controls in place, making sure that you're taking the proper steps to actually secure that data. And it's an ever evolving and changing uh, effort to stay secure. So um, what we recommend is that you look at your security, not only from uh, and we'll speak to PCI as a as a compliance requirement, but actually right. as a as a life cycle continuum where you're continually evaluating your controls. You're continually looking at the environment to validate that you have the proper security in place, and that you're also adapting to meet new requirements. Now, the requirements try to adapt over time to meet the the ever changing uh, threat landscape, but there's no way that compliance can guarantee security. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And probably also why the P PCI DSS has their cycle of when they update requirements and, and new information again, you know, coming out this year with you know, PCI 4 and, and really uh, ensuring that there's new ways of, of doing things. Yeah, absolutely. So while we're talking about PCI DSS, Ryzen does publish another publication called the PSR, the okay. Payment Security Report. It's very similar to the, uh, the the DBIR, but it's focused specifically on PCI data and related security. Um, as you mentioned, PCI DSS 4.0 is coming out. There's a lot of new changes, uh, one of which is that now we have to have named individuals responsible for certain aspects of, of compliance, okay. which means that we're no longer just holding companies liable. We're actually putting somebody's name on that specific requirement. Um, it's really important that companies are properly planning to meet those requirements but also understand why they're being put in place so it's no longer just a check in the box for them um it really is actual you know there's some real teeth to it um one thing to keep in mind also around compliance is it's important to look at your environment from different angles um i've had conversations with customers when they say hey i love my QSA, Qualified Security Assessor, because he knows my environment. He makes it easy for me to get the compliance, the ROC, <laughs> the uh, the record of compliance, and and confirm that I'm compliant. Right. You know, you got to ask yourself, do I want to be confirmed that I'm compliant or I don't? do I want somebody really making sure that not only am I compliant, but I really am not leaving the back door open for somebody to walk in and steal my data. That's kind of the the you know, really where companies need to get. And if you tie that back to like the continual education of us as individuals, right? when you receive that email that says, hey, I need you to transfer $2 million to a <laughs> offshore 
account because we have a bill that's due, we have to be thinking along those terms too, right? So we gotta be continually trained just like our security experts are continually grooming our environment to make sure we're not opening any new back doors. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know a lot of times when we were talking to schools, there is that fear factor, and especially now of, of naming individuals, it's like, I don't wanna go to PCI jail. While there's not really, as you know, a PCI jail, there definitely is risk. And you wanna make sure that, you know, both from a, you know, security from your campus and all of your students and faculty and, and everyone, you wanna make sure you're doing the right things to protect from all of these bad actors that I think a lot of times really target higher education because they know it's a learning environment, maybe a little bit more open environment. So it really is an essential to make sure you understand all the pieces and parts. You know, and that's, that's a really good point you, you touched on. You touched on risk. Okay, so there's the risk of non-compliance. I'm gonna have to pay X number of dollars a day that I'm not compliant until I become compliant, right? right? So that's one thing. But then there's the actual risk that could impact either the individuals you could have their identities stolen, could have their payment card information exposed um, and compromised and used for fraudulent activities. But then you also have the risk of the organization. Right. And when you think about these organizations, you know, my alma mater as an example, Ohio University is, you know, a couple hundred years old. And uh, we trust our children to go to school there. We sure. trust them with our personal information. Um, and we trust that, you know, they're going to take care of that. Um, much like a corporation, if they were compromised, their their name brand can be impacted. Right. Um, you know, there's a number of of examples we could we could point out to say you know billions of dollars impact to these corporations. So there's not only impact to the data being stolen and exposed to the end users, compliance, you know, and litigation costs, but there's also long lasting impact to the brands and. You know, when you look at some of these schools, you know, they, you know, they educate thousands of people and people really take pride in those schools. Right. And these schools also take pride in their name brand. So uh, it's really critical that they spend the right um, time and focus and invest proper resources to protect themselves against, you know, this potential impact. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like that they need an expert. And so I know that Verizon happens to help with both data and payment security. So can you just give a little bit more details about the different services that you provide? Yeah, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> um, so I'll selfishly, uh, you know, say that we are one of the largest telecommunication service providers in the world. We provide managed security services. Uh, we manage the infrastructure, you know, firewalls, IPS, IDS, we provide managed SOC services. Um, a security operations center does the traditional threat analysis and response of the actual events that are gathered from the security infrastructure and IT infrastructure. We also provide, um, you know, a services in the form of people, process, and technology. Uh, we provide consulting services, implementation, integration services, advisory services, governance, risk, and compliance (GRC) services, as well as uh, um, we also provide technology. So, you know, the, the, you name it, the name brand manufacturers of technology, we also pur purvey their services. So um, I would, there's no security provider that can say, hey, we provide everything from A to Z, but, you know, at Verizon, we really do have a, a comprehensive security services uh, portfolio and we're always available to help our clients. 
That's wonderful. And even just the reports you talked about, those are those are generally available to anybody to go out to your website and get, right? Yeah, absolutely. They're free. Um, and you can find them at verizon.com. So the, the uh, data breach investigations report, the DBIR, is actually scheduled to be released in this upcoming June. So it may or may not be available before this uh, podcast is published. And then the PSR is also available there. I don't recall specifically our publication date there. Um, also, we are available on Bright Talk. If you look up our channel, we do all kinds of free educational services to uh, help help you know the security community uh, evolve and and address their 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 environments the best they can. Wow, that is great. Well, Sean, thank you so much for sharing all your expertise with us today. Maintaining data and payment security is so important for higher education. And I know a lot of the things you said, people are writing down and trying to figure out how to make sure they're doing everything the right way. Hey, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm pretty sharp as a general practitioner, but I have access to lots of super duper smart people that can help. Yes. Um, if you're interested in getting more information from us, feel free to reach out to me at sean.davidson at verizon.com. Love that. Thanks so much, Sean. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Focus. Don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date on the business of higher education. For more information, check us out at touchnet.com.